is a message to the sinners like me, those lost within whose struggles we do not see, those who were pushed so far away, those who can't seem to find a reason to stay, those who can't look past willful sins and mistakes, those who like what the world offers and makes. The cares and the stress of this life weigh us down. It's hard to imagine a time worry will not abound. We stumble and fall, feel hurt and dismay at the troubles and trials that come our way. When hope seems lost and we know not what to do, we must remember our creator that his promises hold true. Our God, he is gracious, loving, and kind, willing to work with us and open our minds so that we may envision the hope set before us of a perfect land and loved ones risen from dust, of a time when heartache and grief are no more, of God's reverent glory that will expand across shores. Now hope that is seen is not hope, not really. So we must remember that it won't always be easy, that hard times will come, we will feel lost and alone, but the struggle is never one that we face on our own. God has made us a family, one to help and to guide, to work through things together side by side. He loves with a love that knows no bounds, a love that builds up and does not tear down, a love that protects and a love that guides, a love that strengthens and always provides. Our hope lies in him, he is always near. And those who feel lost by him are held most dear. I wrote this poem to reflect how I felt at a time when I was incredibly lost. As one who's never had a good sense of direction in the literal sense, I have a lot of experience making wrong turns and then trying to figure out how to proceed in the right direction. I make a few more incorrect turns, acknowledge I don't know where I'm going, take a step back and gather my bearings, try for the correct direction, make it a decent ways in that way, and then somehow end up losing my place and getting lost again. We are so often taught that life is a combination of highs and lows, and it is. But what people tend not to mention is the messiness of the process as we work through the lows. The periods of time when you feel as if you finally made it out, that you are no longer lost and have a good sense of where you're headed. And then the next day, you've hit rock bottom again. And the waves knock into you and take you down again and again and again while you struggle to pull yourself out. And then just when you think you've made it through, the biggest one comes to knock you back down. I went from having an eager, unfaltering faith in God to questioning all that was before me. But everyone around me, my family, my friends, my ecclesia, had already seen that unfaltering faith, seen that dedication. So I couldn't let them know, couldn't let them see that someone who had once been so strong was struggling. I didn't want to let anybody down. There were expectations that I had to uphold and live up to and they crippled me. I became lost within the ecclesia. I know many others have been there as well, 
Some might even be in this position now. What this looked like for me was taking on as many roles and responsibilities as I could, attending meeting and weekly Bible studies, and hating it as I went along. Hating that I was pretending like I was okay when I wasn't. Hating that I had to put up a facade with those I called brothers and sisters. Hating that I was adopting the mindset of the prodigal's brother. I have always served you, Father. Why have you not rewarded me? I think it is important that we don't deceive ourselves by thinking that as long as we get back into a routine or start a bunch of new spiritual things in the hopes of forming a new routine, then at some point things will eventually become fine again. Because throwing ourselves into work doesn't always allow for the personal growth that's necessary. Ecclesiastes 3 is often quoted. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. The writer goes on to ask, What gain has the worker from his toil? Meaningful work can become meaningless if it is not gone about correctly. When we are going through low points in our lives, it's important to keep this in mind and be open to the fact that it may take a combination of different things, some familiar and some unfamiliar, to help us through. When I was feeling lost and alone at the most unexpected time, In the most unexpected place, God connected me with a handful of fellow believers who helped me see things differently. These brothers and sisters listened to me describe my struggles and voiced their own. We gave each other a platform where we didn't have to pretend. And I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, it made all the difference. Sometimes our conversations were made with a Bible in hand, and other times they weren't. On some occasions, we prayed with and for each other, taking part in prayer circles where we opened ourselves up to each other and to God. And the majority of these meetings and conversations and prayers took place virtually. And while praying together virtually has its difficulties, it's certainly not impossible and is something I would encourage others to do. That type of openness between believers bridges the gap of physical distance and brings us closer together. It was through these experiences during a time of difficulty and loss that I learned that not only are we never alone, but that confessing your struggles, shortcomings, and hurt to your brothers and sisters, as James tells us to do in James 5.16, is a pivotal part of the healing and growing process. It teaches us how to communicate with one another. It teaches us empathy. It teaches us that nothing is ever as black and white as we may believe teaches us how to pray for each other. It was through this that I was reminded that God is always working in our lives, even when we feel so far removed from Him. In realizing that we do not face these things alone, and that our brothers and sisters are meant to be there to encourage us and to pray for us, just as we are meant to do for them, that is where I once again found my hope. If we look to the scriptures, we see that hope is mentioned extensively. 
we are told that we might find our hope in the Lord. This is all throughout the Psalms and other places too. We might find our hope in the mercy of God and in the word of God. We might also find our hope in Jesus Christ, as it's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3. This certainly doesn't mean that we can't find hope anywhere besides these four things. We might find our hope in more specific, sometimes unlikely things, but it's probably safe to say that most of the time, our hope will stem from at least one of these four. The Bible gives us an even longer list of what we can hope for. We have the hope of the gospel. We might hope for our brothers and sisters to be present with us at Christ's return. The hope of the resurrection and Jesus Christ, eternal life and salvation, the appearing of the glory of God in Jesus. We might have the hope of God's mercy and the word of God, the hope of redemption and the hope of Israel and their deliverance, the promised land and the glory of God and hope of the greater calling that he has given us. After reading about so many things that God gives us to hope for, I was curious to hear what other people had to say about what they hoped for. I asked family and friends, brothers and sisters, and a few strangers who I encountered who were willing to share. What do you hope for? I received answers like hope for the healing of friends and good health for family, a hope which I think all of us have voiced at one point or another, justice for the poor, an end to the suffering that humanity brings upon itself. This is a prayer of hope that I continuously find myself praying. Hope to find a passion and love for God. I found this answer incredibly relatable because our hearts can become so divided, making it difficult to constantly maintain a good relationship with our God. And hope for Christ's return to set the world right. And while sharing what each of us hopes for is certainly good, I think something that may be a bit more beneficial is to hear how hope is strengthened. And so as a follow-up question, I asked, what strengthens your hope? Responses included, hope is strengthened through personal prayer and prayer with others. An answer I couldn't agree with more. It can be strengthened through reflecting on what God has given us and understanding that God wants to be in a relationship with us. This is super important. God wants us. Throughout your life, he has been orchestrating events and experiences so that he can have a relationship with you. What a humbling thought. Hope can be strengthened through understanding the character, righteousness, and mercy of God through his creation and through reading the Bible. And there are so many more, so many more things that people hope for, so many things that can strengthen our hope. And our God works in mysterious ways and often reveals hope in unlikely times and places. We see this throughout our own lives and throughout scripture as well. I always find great strength in looking to some of the biblical examples that we often read about. One example of someone who displayed such incredible hope is Rahab, a Gentile who took advantage of the little kindnesses offered to her at a time when she knew there was no longer any hope for the city she lived in. The inhabitants of Jericho cast their hope on their strong walls and defenses, the things which they could see and touch and believed would hold fast. Meanwhile, Rahab cast her hope on a God she had only heard stories about. That's amazing. 
can be very difficult for me to focus my hope on the unseen and intangible, even though that's what we're told to do in Romans 8.24. But Rahab did just that. Her story and the events surrounding it are a beautiful example of the works God is constantly doing in order to grow our hope in Him. Before Rahab is even mentioned in Joshua chapter 2, taking into consideration the name of the camp from which Joshua sent the two spies to explore Jericho gives us a look into God's thoughtful work. The Israelites were encamped at Shittim, and the word Shittim means the acacia trees, a land of bush-like trees composed of scrawny, thorny, and gnarled trunks and branches. The same wood used to build almost everything in and around the tabernacle the dwelling place of God. We are reminded by Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that we ourselves are God's temple, bodies which are meant to manifest God's glory. How seemingly odd that God would want the Israelites to fashion his dwelling place out of wood that was so difficult to work with. And yet, in this we see a beautiful parallel with us. He is willing to work with us despite our flaws, shortcomings, and difficult nature. Why? In reference to the tabernacle in Exodus 29:43, God says, There I will meet with the people of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. He works with our sharp edges, our thorns, our imperfect characteristics in order for his glory to shine through. Though we may be hard to work with, though we may sin and hold the belief that we are beyond forgiveness, he still chooses to craft us into something that can be used for his glory. There is hope to be found in our imperfections because God sanctifies us by his glory. When the spies came into the city of Jericho, it was no coincidence that they were led to stay with the prostitute Rahab. This was a woman who had immense faith in a God who no one around her worshipped. Do you think Rahab felt alone at times? Do you think she struggled to understand God's purpose for her? Do you think she had a hard time with the waiting process? because I do, but she recognized that her salvation lay outside the life she knew, despite the probable, the probable difficulties she faced in her family, culture, and occupation. Her mind was open enough that when the time came, she knew hiding the spies was the right thing to do. In Joshua 2, 6, we read, she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. In biblical times, flax was used to make linen, and most clothing was made from either linen or wool. So we have flax and wool as clothing to cover nakedness. God says as much in Hosea 2 verse 9 in reference to the people of Israel. And I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Of course, nakedness is often used to refer to the sinful flesh that only God can provide a covering for so it's interesting that Rahab has flax, but no wool. So why might this be the case? If we take a look at Isaiah 1.18, we read, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Such wool is representative of the lamb that was slain in order to wash away our scarlet sins. We see this beautiful foreshadowing in Rahab's story of the universal forgiveness of sins that Christ provided through his sacrifice. There was no other way for Rahab or any other to receive such a covering. Wool and flax are also mentioned together in Proverbs 31:13 regarding the virtuous woman. 
She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Rahab was seeking and hoping for a way towards salvation without even knowing what that way was. So when we think that we know better, that we know what is best for our lives, let us remember that Rahab had hope in a way that she had never even fathomed. Once the coast was clear and Rahab had let the spies down through the window, they presented her with a scarlet cord for her to tie in her window when the Israelites would come into the land. In Joshua 2.18, we read, The spies say, Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt find this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. The word for line is the Hebrew word tikvah, which means hope. The two Israelite spies gave Rahab a hope of scarlet that would save her and her family. They provided her with something only God could give, forgiveness and salvation through the death of his lamb. Hundreds of years before that sacrifice even took place. And Rahab's hope put her right in the genealogy of that lamb. Many of the things we are to hope for can be found in Rahab's story. God shaping us and working with us, which reflects mercy, grace, and the calling we are given. Salvation and redemption, the hope of a promised land, and the hope in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Hope can be found in the most unlikely places. And one of the most amazing things about scripture is that the hope of what Jesus would one day do is constantly foreshadowed. These two little pieces of Rahab's story are just a small taste of all of the types and symbols of Christ that we see throughout scripture. The writer of the Hebrews writes that a better hope has been introduced, Jesus Christ, through which we draw near to God. So many died in the hopes that their Messiah and Savior would one day come. They had no tangible proof of him. And they went through hard times too. They questioned God's plan for them. And now, even though we have proof in the form of the written word of God that Jesus is our Savior and King, I still find myself losing hope at times. But if we keep our eyes and minds open to the fact that God is working in our lives in ways that we cannot even begin to imagine, then we can always find hope in people, in prayer, in little things and big things in highs and in lows. The good times are made so much better because of the heartache we experience during the bad times. And that's okay, because for everything, there is a season. And regardless of the season, may you always look for the hidden hope that God is providing. <laughs>